Our Heavenly Father, we thank you this day for your word. And we ask that you would grant us grace to hear and to understand your word. And we ask that your Holy Spirit would apply it to our minds and our hearts so that we might thereby walk in the light of your grace and your lawful ways. In Jesus' precious name, amen. It's easy to complain, isn't it? Do you find it difficult to complain? Or is it something that comes rather naturally to us? Maybe you've had an experience like this on a Sunday morning. You wake up and you go to fetch your clothes. And you find that when you get your shirt back from the dry cleaner, because it needed to be dry cleaned this time, they hadn't done it right. A button was missing. And maybe it was a button-down shirt. And you can't wear a button-down shirt if this particular button is missing. It doesn't look very good. Or maybe, ladies, you've put on a new dress or something for Sunday or, or any day and spilled coffee or tea on it and thereby just ruined the entire day. There's nothing more that can be done. Your life is in complete tatters. And, of course, sometimes those two things happen at the same on the same morning and the children get dressed and they spill their cereal or their pancakes on their clothes and now that aspect of the day is ruined. And let's just take it even farther and make it even more comical. What if the car didn't start? Or better yet, what if the car got you halfway there, bailed on you, and it was 95 degrees out with just blistering humidity? Have you ever had a day like that? Hopefully not. Maybe you've had one or two of those things happen at the same time. But most of us have probably had something like that occur in our lives. And what do we do when that happens? We whine. We complain. Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting dry cleaning to come back properly. There's nothing wrong with wanting your car to get you someplace in blistering heat. There's nothing wrong with not wanting coffee to spill on a new dress And there is certainly nothing wrong with with wanting your children to not have an accident with the cereal or the cornflakes or whatever and ruin their brand new clothes. There's nothing wrong with wanting those things. But when those things go wrong, how do we act? We act like children very often. And we have to deal with reality and we have to deal with the particular petition of the Lord's Prayer that is before us today. We have to deal with it as middle-class Americans. I cannot preach to you as someone who is living in India. I can't preach to you as someone who is... You might have a million dollars, I don't know, but I can't preach to you as someone who has all of the finery and luxuries in life immediately at your disposal. I have to preach to you as who you are. We're mostly middle-class Americans. Middle-class white Americans. And you know what? That's a pretty good thing to be. That's not a bad place to be. Even if all of those things happen to you, every day of your life, you would still have an awful lot of blessings to thank God for. We have to realize that when we're complaining about these things, that we're complaining about things that most of the people on this planet would consider luxuries, 
A car? A car is a very valuable thing. It's an extremely valuable thing in the third world. You all got here today. Your car started or something got you here. Some of you walked, but most of you drove. You got here. There are a lot of people that don't have a car. Or we complain if our clothes get ruined. And again, there's nothing wrong with wanting clothes to stay nice. But most of us, if we splashed coffee on a shirt, would be able to go to our closet and find another shirt. And even if we wrecked that one with toast ten minutes later, most of us would be able to go back to the closet and find a third shirt. It might not be our favorite shirt. It might not match perfectly, but it would be there, wouldn't it? Did you lose your electricity a few weeks ago? We did for about, for about a day. It's not fun. A lot of us have backup generators for those emergencies when the lights go out and the electricity is gone and we don't want our meat to spoil, so we kick on the backup generator and everything is hunky-dory. There's nothing wrong with wanting the meat to stay perfectly well. But do you realize that that backup generator that you sometimes use a few times a year would be considered an absolutely amazing machine to millions of people in the world? That the fact that you have electricity would be considered almost a miracle. And as for air conditioning, I won't even mention what that would be to most of the people in the world. I don't say these things to shame you or myself. But as a way of reminder that when we ask God, give us this day our daily bread, that he's been fairly kind to us, whether we think so or not. He's been awfully good to us. And he's not especially pleased when the children that he has been especially kind to grumble under the smallest of inconveniences. Think about the electricity going out. I just like, I never ask you to raise your hands, but whose electricity went out even for a little bit a couple of weeks ago? Okay. It's not fun. It's an inconvenience though, right? Everybody survived. Obviously you did. You're here today. You didn't die of heat swelter. If it really got bad, we could have gotten into our cars, traveled down to, well, probably not Allegheny County because the lights were out down there. Uh, could have gone north, gotten a hotel, and had air conditioning and nice cool water for the night. We, we would have had that at our disposal for you know, 50, 60, 100 bucks. And most of us would have it to just go and be okay. A lot of people don't. And again, not to shame us, but to make us realize that, you know, God really has been kind to me. He certainly has been kind to us as a people. So when we ask God, give us this day our daily bread, we must realize that in the ancient world, that meant exactly what it meant. Daily bread. We have refrigerators. Some of us have more than one refrigerator for different types of food, different meats down in the basement. They didn't have that in the ancient world. So the people who first heard this give us this day our daily bread. They literally meant that, our daily bread. 
Because, if, because bread was the basic substance of culinary life in the ancient Near East. That's what you lived on. Bread. That's why Christ called himself the bread of life. He didn't call himself the steak of life because most of them never ate steak. He called himself the bread of life because that was the basic food stuff. And it's still very tasty when you toast it up. Rye toast and butter is a perfectly wonderful and tasty, tasty breakfast and nutritious as well. But we run into problems when we ask God for our daily bread. We run into a number of significant problems. And the first one is that some of us think that it's actually sinful and somewhat unspiritual to ask God for the physical necessities of this world. There's a whole strain of the Christian church, historically, not too much now, but that has said that the physical world is evil and you have to remove yourself from the world. And that to ask God for physical things, because let me be very clear, this petition, give us this day our daily bread, we are asking for physical things. Let's just get that right out of the way. We're asking for stuff. We're asking for food. We are asking in our context for the electricity to stay on. We are asking in this context for our automobiles to start and keep us safe. If you don't have an automobile, you don't have to worry about it breaking down. But if you have one, you don't want it to break down. We're asking for physical things. And a lot of people have a problem with that. Because we have this idea that, well, what's spiritual has got nothing to do with money. What is spiritual has got nothing to do with food. What's spiritual has got nothing to do with clothes. And nothing could be further from the truth. Those things are very spiritual. God created you as a physical being, if you haven't noticed. You have a body. Someday it will be resurrected and made indestructible. That means that God's concerned about your body. God values your body. Christ's incarnation. Christmas is four months away. Four months away. The incarnation of our Lord vindicates the physical world. So when you see or you hear of Christians who espouse somehow neglecting their bodies or somehow not wanting to discuss the material things of this world because it somehow will taint them spiritually, they are so far off the mark it isn't even funny. I don't even have to talk about um, false religions. I once heard a story about a Hindu faker, F-A-K-I-R. He's not a fake, He's actually very true to his beliefs, but he's a fake earth. They don't work. They hardly ever eat. They're those guys that sometimes you see them lying on beds of nails. Um, please, help me out with that one. Somehow that's a pleasant activity. It's going to draw you closer to God. And he didn't work. He had a family, but he didn't support his family. And someone asked, well, why don't you get a job? And he said, I can't get a job. I'm a holy man. Listen to me carefully. There is nothing holy. There is nothing religious about reducing yourself to an unproductive bag of bones. There's nothing holy about it. It's quite the opposite. Those are evil actions. In the Middle Ages, some Christians, well, most Christians, 
would actually whip themselves to atone for their sins. Well, guess what? A confession of sin will do the job. Christ got whipped so that you didn't have to get whipped. Or they would wear uh, horsehair shirts underneath their clothes to rub against their skin to remind them that they were sinners. That's ridiculously dumb. Do you realize that? Christ underwent all of that pain so that we wouldn't have to do silly things like that. Do you really think that roughing up your chest with horsehair is going to draw you closer to God? That it's going to make God more pleased with you? Nothing could be sillier. Well, we could probably find something sillier, but that's awfully close. Particularly with the fact that it denigrates what Christ went through. Christ suffered so that we wouldn't have to suffer like that. Christ suffered so that we wouldn't have to earn our way into God's good graces. You don't have to do all of these ascetic, physical exercises to gain access to God. What do you have to do to gain access to God? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And then once you're saved, you confess your sin and you're totally clean in his sight. So let's dispel with that, okay? This petition is dealing with physical stuff. It's proper to be concerned with our bodies. Well, just the idea of daily bread. If Christ tells us to ask for our daily bread, then that must mean that the Father is concerned that we have our daily bread. Therefore, we can conclude that it's important for us to have our daily bread so that we don't die of starvation. And when Christ was tempted in the desert, please don't forget that when Satan tempted him, and he was hungry at that point, 40 days without food, that's at the near starvation level. What did Jesus say? Satan said, turn these stones to bread if you're the son of God. And he said, man does not live by bread alone. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That shows that two things, and a lot of people miss this, does not live by bread alone implies very clearly that we do live by bread, that we have to have bread to eat, that we can't eat stones. And that quite frankly, to not eat physical food and to just concentrate on Bible study is okay for a brief period of time. It's called fasting. But to do it as a way of life is destructive because we live on the physical bread and we live on the bread of the word of God. You have to have both or you will starve either physically or spiritually. The second problem we run into is that we, believe it or not, some, sometimes we believe that God should provide us with all of our wants and needs. We actually won't say it, but we rather think that God owes us. This is poor thinking. This is unbiblical thinking. This is false thinking. That's very dangerous But if we're honest, most of us at one time or another in our lives has, in some way, during a hard time in our lives, looked up to the sky and kind of mumbled under our breath so that God doesn't hear it. You know what? I deserve a little bit better than this. A lot of us actually think that we deserve a lifestyle of the rich and famous. A lot of us actually think that God owes us all of the fineries of this world. If that's ever crossed your mind, I beg you to erase it from your, the hard drive of your brain 
Because, listen, God doesn't owe us anything. He doesn't owe us anything. He's God. He can do anything He wants. You can't fight Him. Well, you can, but it's fairly irrational. You're going to lose the battle every single time. You can't outsmart Him because He knows everything. He doesn't owe us anything. And if we asked God to give us what he really owes us, we'd be asking him for justice. And we don't want to go there because when we ask God for justice and he gives it to us, it gets bloody, ugly, and nasty very, very fast. Because God's justice is bloody. It's frightening. And on the flip side, he doesn't owe us grace and mercy either. He doesn't owe that to us. He gives it to us willingly as a gift. It's silly not to accept a gift like that. If you haven't accepted that gift, I beg of you to do so today, to fall on Christ. Because it's the greatest gift that anyone will ever give you. It's a gift that, it's not the gift that keeps on giving, it's the gift that never stops. It's an eternal gift. To be able to spend eternity with God Almighty, there is nothing more precious than that. And the only way to do that is to trust Christ as Savior. If you've already trusted Christ as Savior, then I don't think we can thank God more. We can't thank God enough for that gift. Because it's a gift that never wears out. But why doesn't God owe us? Well, frankly, Adam blew it for us. Adam sinned in the garden. We might not think that that's fair. Oh well, Those are God's ways. Those are God's rules. In Adam, all men die. Now, listen. God told Adam, if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall die. He didn't die right away physically. So, we can conclude that the penalty was dragged out a little bit. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, in Adam, all die. So, We either believe that or we don't. We may not like the fact that we suffer because of Adam's sin, but that is reality. And we have to deal with reality. Most of you like reality at times. Certainly when it comes to gravity, tall buildings, we enjoy reality and we're sane. We don't just keep walking. Romans 5.12 Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, God owes us nothing. We have to understand the nature of what theologians call federal headship. Adam was the federal head of all humanity. That's the reason why you physically break down. That's the reason why you get arthritis. That's the reason why you die. Is because of Adam's sin. Wow. Yes, we all die in Adam. But 1 Corinthians 15 also tells us that you can be made alive in Christ. There's, there's always a good side to things. God always has a, for lack of a better term, a happy ending if we'll be willing to go with it. We all die in Adam, but with Christ as our federal head, as the second Adam, according to Romans 5, we can experience life. 
when we partake of the Lord's Supper, that represents his broken body and blood. It represents the bread of life, the stuff of life. So it's really crazy when you think about it to want to have Adam as your federal head when you could easily have Christ as your federal head. One guy was a loser. I'll be honest with you. He blew it big time. I don't have the foggiest idea what was going through his mind. Christ, on the other hand, was the ultimate hero, the ultimate winner. And we get to heaven literally on his coattails. Sin problem number three. We all do this one. We turn our physical needs into idols. We turn our physical needs into idols. Idols are nasty. They're mean. Idols don't bark at you. They just bite. You see, what an idol does, it's not like a junkyard dog. is ugly and barks. And you run away. An idol is pleasing to the eyes. An idol is sweet to the taste for a while. No bark, all bite. And a bite is vicious. One time I saw somebody get, um, not mauled, by one of those chow dogs. You ever see a chow dog? I'm seeing nose. Kind of like a German shepherd. Fuzzy. Look kind of cute from a distance. This guy got bit in the back of his leg. As I said, the poor guy, thank heavens he's okay. He didn't, he's a friend of mine. He didn't get mauled. That dog wouldn't let go. One bite was all it took. And my friend was howling and screaming in pain. That's what an idol is like. It will bite you and it will not let go. Only the grace of Christ can break the bondage of an idol. And we can turn the physical stuff into an idol at the drop of a dime. We don't need to talk about this too much, do we? How cars and clothes and homes and nice things, even food and drink, can turn, be turned into an idol. Again, just let me reiterate what we consider necessities the vast majority of the people in this world will consider extravagant luxuries. Look at this building. Electricity, handmade pulpit, beautiful stained glass windows. Do you appreciate this place? Do you? I'm asking you, straight up, do you appreciate it? And if you do... And if those who have aligned themselves with the church do, then why aren't they here? Now, some might be sick, some might be out of town. That's perfectly acceptable. But some people have just turned other things into idols. Their work, their free time, whatever that might be, and they're not here. Again, I'm not talking about those who are sick or elderly who can't get out who are out of state. If you're out of state on vacation, you don't have to zip in for Sunday morning worship. Although we're in America, you can find a church on the road. You can always find a church somewhere in America. It might not be a Reformed Presbyterian church, but you can find a gospel-believing church somewhere. Even in New Jersey and in California. They're around. You have to search a little bit in those places, but they're around. I know some of the pastors. These things of this world were given to covetousness. Thou shalt not covet. Do you know what God thinks of covetousness? Listen to what Paul says. Colossians 3. Put to death your members which are on earth. Fornication, uncleanness, 
passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Do you realize that to covet something is an act of idolatry? Now, let me be clear. There's a difference between saying, you know what? That fellow's got a good job. I'd like to have that job. And he did X, Y, and Z to get that job. I'm going to do X, Y, and Z and try and get that job so that I can have a better life. There's nothing wrong with that. Wanting to improve yourself. If you look at someone and they say, oh, he has an easy life. Well, he's a surgeon. He went to school for 30 years to earn that title of surgeon. And he pays exorbitant insurance costs to have that BMW. Most of us don't have the skill or the desire to go to school for 30 years. I mean, literally, to be a surgeon is college, three years of medical school, and then seven years of a surgical residency. That's an awful long time to be in class. And I don't know about you, but I didn't like the second semester biology. The idea of being a surgeon is nothing I would ever dream of doing. But there's nothing wrong with saying they did that I can do that, and maybe my life will improve. That's different than saying, I want what he has without working for it. That's covetousness. And covetousness is idolatry. Now let me ask you this. Do you have anything in your life that's an idol? Material stuff here now. Cars, clothes, careers. Is it an idol? If so, I urge you to smash it. Because as I said, idols don't bark, they bite. And when you realize you've been bitten, like my friend realized, he was walking through the yard perfectly safe. I'm telling you right now, that dog came out of nowhere. And it moved fast. My friend tried to move fast, but he wasn't quite as quick. And that dog bit him and launched into him. Like I said, he's okay now, but he's got a, he's an awful scar. An idol won't bark at you, it will just bite The next problem is we actually think that we can provide for our own needs. We don't need God. We don't need God. We think we can do it on our own. And when this happens, what we're actually doing, when you think about it, is we turn ourselves into itsy-bitsy little idols. We actually think that we're God. Well, I don't need him. I can do this. Now listen to me. If you're a carpenter, you don't have to ask God for help every time you hit a nail. All right? If you're an expert seamstress, you don't have to ask God for help every time you do whatever the movements are called. I don't know what they're called. You tore your hand around, knitting stuff. You've seen ladies knit and crochet. They can, they can talk. They can do five things at once and still, still do that stuff. It's amazing. You don't have to consciously ask God, please help me with this, help me with that. But you do have to realize it. God gave you your hands. Somebody taught you how to do it, most likely. And it's a skill that God has given you the ability to do, and you have fanned it into flame. Deuteronomy 8. Then you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day, or that famous passage in James 4. 
Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. That word arrogance is important. Arrogance is when you literally arrogate qualities to yourself that you don't have. It's not boasting. Boasting is when you boast about something that you actually can do. Arrogance is when you claim to be able to do something and you can't. If you run around saying that you're a better center fielder than Mickey Mantle, you're out of your mind. There's only one guy who's ever been better. His name is Willie Mays. Bring it home to Pittsburgh. If you say, I'm a better right fielder than Roberto Clemente could ever hope to be, forget about it. Nobody's even come close to achieving what he did in the field in right field. It's never going to happen. Guys just don't work that hard anymore. They just don't. That's arrogance, to say that you're better when you're obviously not. Now, Roberto Clemente didn't have to brag about being the greatest right fielder ever because um, those 12 gold gloves proved it. They proved it. He didn't have to boast. The achievements were there. Arrogance is when we're idolaters of ourselves. We think that we're better than we are. We think that we're more than we are. And we don't give credit to God for the things that he's already given us. We might even start out well, realizing that God's given me the ability to do this craft or that craft. And then as time goes by, we forget about God and we just think, well, this is, this is me. This is what I do. Not realizing that God is the one who gave you that power. I was talking with a pastor friend of mine. And I was discussing our congregation, not in specifics, but I said, you know, most of my guys, they, they work for a living with their hands. And after, after 40, 50 years, that hurts the back, that hurts the knees, and they, they, they can't work anymore. And I said, you know, we're blessed in that way. You know, we can, we can go on to, to we're 85. Neither one of us wants to retire. He has the same plan as I do, to preach a really powerful sermon, go to your office and just... Go to, just, just fall out right there in your office after things are done. That would be a perfect way for a pastor to go. And then I said, of course, you know me, I'm going to come up with, well, what if? I says, well, what if? What if you or I got cancer of the tongue? And he's like, oh, I don't want to think about that. And I says, you better. That's because without a tongue, you can't speak. And if you can't speak, you can't preach. And I said, so we should probably think about that the next time we grumble about what we have to preach about because it's a great honor. And I said, oh. He said, you can always find some rain in a parade, can't you? I said, no, we really need to think about that. What if you lost your voice? What would you do? He said, I have the foggiest idea. I said, well, there you go. We should be thanking God for our vocal cords and our tongues and our Greek and Hebrew skills every day because... They're gifts that have been given to be used for the service of God's people. Now next week we'll get into the positive aspect of this give this, this day our daily bread. But let me just challenge you with this. Do any of these problems that I've discussed ever crop up in your life? If they do, they will prevent you 
from asking God for your daily bread. And it's important for us to ask God for our daily bread. He is the giver of all good things. He is the giver of all good things. So I urge you to get rid of these problems, get rid of these idols, and rely upon His grace and His providence because His providence, while sometimes very mysterious, is gracious at the end of the day. For us, no matter what we're going through now, the lines have fallen for us here in pleasant places. So let us be thankful for what he has given and let us continually seek his face so that he will continue to give us the things that we need because he loves us and he wants us to have what we need. Not necessarily what we want, but what we need. Let's pray. Oh, Father, of these sin problems, we ask that you would banish them from our lives and that you would help us to realize that you are our sustenance. In Jesus' name, amen.